Hey folks, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. The Restoration Project is a cooperative Baptist fellowship church located in Salisbury, Maryland. We are taking a break from our latest sermon series. Enjoy this standalone episode. Thanks for listening. So the text for this evening is Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Powerful and almighty God, we thank you for your word and the impact it has thousands of years later. We're grateful to be among your children. God, I thank you for the people under this roof this evening, from the people in the pews, to the kids in the classrooms, to the kids volunteers. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you freely, a gift that so many across the world do not have. Lord, I ask that you guide my words tonight and make what leaves my mouth be pleasing to you. I ask all these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus' name, amen. So like Tessa said, I got a uh, new old man dog this week and I thought (laughs) thought about bringing him up here and holding him like as a support dog, but then I didn't think that uh, Asbury would be too on board with that. So somehow I've made it through a year of classes of seminary at a snail's pace, one class a quarter, you know, the five-year planned for a two-year degree. Anyway, the sermon comes on the heels of a New Testament class that I just took, just finished, one that necessitated me keeping an extensive list of the new words I learned and their meanings. Ask me about that later if you're so inclined and you have nerdish tendencies. Throughout this past year, what I continue to realize is the more I learn about scripture, the more there is to know. If you'll indulge me this evening, I'd like to unpack this verse, the scripture uh, verse by verse. But first, a little background on the book of Philippians. Philippi was a city in Greece populated mostly by Gentile retired military men who had been given land there after their service. The fact that most of the population was Gentile would explain the scarcity of synagogues. The growth of the Christian church in Philippi took place in house churches. Fun fact for you, there are no Old Testament verses written 
in the book of Philippians. Again, this was likely because the people of Philippi were Gentiles and would have had little to no background in Old Testament. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians from prison, most likely in Rome. There were several purposes for the letter. First, Paul wrote to the Philippian church to thank them for their unsolicited gift upon hearing of his detainment. He thanked them for their support in his mission work and their partnership in the ministry. He let the church know a bit about his current situation and the plans that he had post-imprisonment. Further purposes of the letter are addressed in our text tonight. Paul was writing to make a plea for spiritual unity in the Philippian church. The Christians in the house churches of Philippi loved Paul, but they all weren't getting along with each other. So upon hearing of the fraction that was taking place, he writes to the people. In the previous verses, he reassures the church that struggle and suffering are parts of the journey. They were concerned that the disunity was a punishment by God. But Paul reassures them that's not the case and tells them that exaltation doesn't come without suffering. In the first two verses of the passage, Paul's appealing to his reader's affection to invite a course of action. Namely, he implores the church that if they have received anything from following Christ, comfort from his love, community from the spirit, tenderness, compassion, then they should make Paul's joy complete. We're not talking about a selfish request here. Paul is not making this request for himself, but for the growth of the church. Paul desperately longs for the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread, and he knows that this will not happen if there's infighting within the church. He also yearns for the Philippian people to know the joy of wholeheartedly following Christ. Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Let's talk about this language for a moment. When Paul says, do nothing out of vain conceit, we can glean a wealth of knowledge by looking further into the cultural meaning of the words. Vain conceit was meant the same as having empty glory, and in the Greco-Roman culture of the time, it meant to possess something called baseless glory. To claim glory for something unworthy was to bring about shame, and the people of the Philippian church are encouraged to humbly put the needs of others before themselves. In the Greco-Roman world, humility was fervently considered to be a shortcoming. It was considered a character flaw. As a reader today, we're reminded of just how groundbreaking Jesus's gospel message was. He completely upended the cultural norms of the time. This is all language that summons harmony. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There are words and phrases that require a closer look in order to more effectively interpret the passage. With the first read-through, the phrase, being like-minded, stood out to me. Without further investigation, this phrase takes on our 21st century meaning, definition of having a similar, same opinion about something. After reading about the meaning in this context, it may mean to be deeply influenced by the divine mind. 
Paul's calling for the people of the Philippian church not to have the same thoughts and opinions, but to be deeply influenced by Christ. It takes on a completely different meaning when read in the proper context. If the function of the passage is indeed to encourage unity through the development of the characteristics of Christ, the interpretation of being like-minded seems to be correct. And the verses that follow outline the extraordinary ways of Christ. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. This was the exact opposite of what the Philippians were experiencing at the time. Nero was ruler and some of his tyrannical ways included insisting being referred to as God. So for Jesus to not use his kingship for his benefit was certainly not something that the people were used to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This passage provides evidence of an upheaval of the ancient cultural values. Taking the very nature of a servant ran contrary to society at the time. In the Greco-Roman world, persons of social status would never even have been seen eating with their servants, much less taking on their subservient ways. To do so would have brought about shame. Shame was a sign that one had participated in a disgraceful action, and it went so far as to consider an act of shame to be a social catastrophe. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ humbles himself in the ultimate way by dying as someone of the lowest status, naked and tortured on a cross. In polite Roman society, crucifixion was the most degrading way to die. Even speaking of the cross was met with disgust and with horror. Jesus created the ultimate paradigm shift by turning an abhorrent way of suffering, torture, and death into a symbol of everlasting life worthy of boasting. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verses nine through 11 celebrate the role reversal from humiliating death to exaltation. In verse 10, we are told that everyone who hears the name Jesus should bow. The inclusion of under the earth is important to note because in Greek mythology, the under earth was where the spirits of the dead resided. Even the spirits that lived only a shadow should bow to the name of Jesus. In verse 11, Jesus Christ is given the name of Lord. This provision of a divine title was indicative of Jesus's pronouncement of kingship. Paul's eloquent words are meant to remind and implore the church that taking on the characteristics of Jesus will naturally result in unification. And we know from Paul that unification is required for growth of the gospel for the Christian church. This passage is bursting with practical applications for our lives. First off, I think it's incredibly important to realize that coming together in spiritual unity doesn't mean that we have to think the same things or like the same things or even have similar opinions to be unified under Christ. 
The spiritual unification that Paul talks about is obtainable by striving to be like Jesus. I find the message's version to be straight to the point. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Man, what a great reminder that we all, myself at the top of that list, need to hear. So incredibly easy to get bogged down in the daily grind of our schedules. Up early, work, kids, gym, what's for dinner, bed, just to wake up and do it all over again the next day. We have to consciously work to put ourselves aside and doing something for someone else. This doesn't have to mean grand gestures on a daily basis, but if you look around, all kinds of opportunities present themselves. All you have to do is look and listen. Josh Revel helped me to realize that the big ways to emulate Christ are easier for people to recognize. And I think we do a decent job at TRP with this part. They're regular opportunities to serve others and make a difference, whether it's through building a wheelchair ramp or volunteering at the homeless shelter or spending time at summer lunch at the garden. The thing that we need to focus on are the smaller opportunities, those things that may seem mundane to us, but make a world of difference to the person on the receiving end. Instead of just volunteering your allotted amount of time at whatever organization that you choose, focus on making relationships there. I know you've all heard me talk about a family of kids that we got to know that very first summer at lunch, at lunch at the garden. One of the most satisfying aspects of that ministry has been, able, has been being able to create real and meaningful relationships with these kids and to be privileged enough to be a part of their lives four years later. It always makes me smile when I find out that Dory has taken them to go get ice cream or that Chloe tells me that we need to get Marie some books because she's struggling in school. Instead of just handing out money or food over to a homeless person, ask them how they're doing. I love the story from New Year's Day of how Tessa offered a gentleman at Wawa something to eat. And they ended up praying together in the parking lot. I'm pretty confident in saying that the conversation that they had meant just as much, if not more, than that meatball sub, even though they're pretty good. Sometimes it simply means asking someone how they're doing, not just a surface-level inquiry, but a genuine, how are you, and then really listening. So many people don't feel heard. Take the time to hear that person. Don't try to solve their problems or offer advice but just be there to listen. There were so many examples of this for me after our house fire. One particular example always sticks out to me. I remember a month or two after the fire, Katie Foster asked me if she could come hang out. I warned her that I was not in a good place. I was feeling really, really down and didn't feel like talking. I'll never forget, she said, that's okay. I'm here for you, no matter what you're feeling like. So she proceeded to come over with a bunch of goodies, a bunch of treats, and just sit there with me. She wasn't expecting me to talk or to entertain, but she was just there. When I recalled that to her recently, she didn't even remember it. Just being there for support can mean the world to someone. The thing is, this takes time and energy, and those are two things that we always seem to be lacking but relationships matter. Taking on those characteristics of Christ make a difference. 
every single time. We can take solace in Paul's correspondence to the Philippians. Be mindful of how Christ's groundbreaking thoughts and actions change the world. It's hard for us to grasp just how incredible and radical early Christianity was. I challenge you to be like Christ. Include the outcast, the people on the margins, even the people you see across the aisle from each other. Invest in them. I think one of the genuinely unique things about TRP is our diversity in thought. Isn't it awesome to know that we can disagree about politics and about theology and a host of other things, but because we're unified under our belief in Christ, we can further the gospel message that Jesus brought forth more than 2,000 years ago. So meet for coffee, meet for a drink, worship together, check in with someone that you know to be struggling. Take what you know about Christ and emulate him. Good things will happen. That's a promise I'm willing to make. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the intricate ways it was written that makes it relevant to every generation that has come. We're thankful that you've chosen us to be agents of change in a world that desperately needs restoration. God, we pray that we will take your words in Philippians and remember them this week when life gets tough. I pray that Paul's encouragement to the Philippians will act as encouragement to us as well, that we not only just emulate Christ, but that we do it so often it becomes second nature to us. And through those Christ-like actions, spiritual unity in the faith occurs. I pray that this week we take those little actions to make a difference in the lives of people who truly need it. God, speak to us and let us know who to help and when. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.